0: Goodbye! Hello, Heisman. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God! Davis is going run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. They give it back now to the 30. They're down to the
1: 20. All the is out on the field. He's going to go into the end.
0: Four-man Alabama rush. Got him. Oh, no, they didn't Oh, my gracious. Yep. Yeah.
2: Take your first round of playoff rankings, drop them in a blender, and press play. Here on Monday morning, we're left to pick up the pieces and reassemble the puzzle in time for Tuesday's rankings, rankings that we're going to try and project forward, and uh, a ranking that gives Trey an ultimate spicy take he's promised to unleash on us in just a few minutes. Welcome along, everybody, to the Three Technique College Football Podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmys and the Joes. I'm Mitch Mason, joined by Trey Reeves and Garrett Turney, per usual. Fellas, uh, Saturday was an electric day of college football. We had upsets all over the place. The SEC West is suddenly wide open again, and for the first time in what feels like human history, Alabama and Clemson might have been eliminated from playoff contention on the same day. Are, are, are Are we rejoicing with the masses today?
0: Oh yeah. No, I, it is so good to have some variety, you know, obviously neither of those teams won it last year. We're going to talk about Georgia probably being number one team to beat repeat champ, all that stuff like that. Totally get it. But I'm so glad that you're starting to get some of these old names out of there and starting to get some new names in. maybe get a little bit of changing of the guard, you know, get some new flags up on the wall. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to break it down with you guys. Yeah, it's huge. It's a huge day for college football. Yesterday,
1: was an amazing day to be a fan of the sport. It's an amazing day to so look forward to the college football playoff this year because it's been absolute carnage since week one, since week zero, really. And I'm here for it, man. I don't I don't think we're done yet. I think any time that Kansas reaches bowl eligibility, <laughs> stuff gets crazy. And so I'm sure. here for a 2007-esque finish. Oh, Run for shot. sure.
2: Yeah. I, hey, we talked about it in the preview. I had a good feeling that we were going to be partying in, in Lawrence couple of wins for Kansas and their social media team. We'll get to all of that in due time. Trey, you've got a spicy take. I want to get to it, and it's wrapped up with our question of the day, so let me get the housekeeping out of the way. A couple of announcements. As uh, we we debuted on last week's show, we're on YouTube now. Head over to YouTube, search The Three Technique, find us there. If you would drop us a, a subscription, a like on this video if you're watching it currently or any of the videos that you might see in the future or past, please give us a like. It helps us grow the show. Also, follow us on social media at uh, 3TechPod on Twitter and Instagram. You can email us too, if you'd like, 3TechPod at gmail.com. Uh, get all your sizzling, spicy takes. If, if you hear this from Trey and think, oh, yeah, I've got one that can top it, let us have it. DM us, email us. Let's get into it. Gentlemen, it's all wrapped up in the question of the day. As we get version two, run it back of these playoff ranks that we had some issue with, a lot of people around the country had issue with. Question of the day, how far back is too far back in our new rankings? Now, we're going to read off our names, our list of teams that we believe are still eligible for the college football playoff. If you're listening to this after the playoff rankings have come out, this is not what uh, those at the Gaylord, Texan, and Grapevine have come up with yet. We'll talk about that on Thursday's show. This is what we would do if we were ranking those teams. So, I'll turn it over to you guys first and and Trey, let's start with you cuz I'm just I'm just so excited to hear this. List off kind of your teams that you believe are still in it, uh still in the hunt for for postseason glory and ultimately how far back is too far back in the rankings to contend for the playoff.
1: Yeah, so This is not going to be my projection of the college football playoff rankings on uh, Tuesday night, because who knows what they're going to do? I think we have a pretty good idea of who's going to be number one and probably two, three, four net. The order is definitely up for debate. But for me, I have a lot of teams still alive for the college football playoff because My spicy hot take is I don't think we have any teams finish conference championship week undefeated in the FBS. We have four still undefeated. Wow. Wow. We have Georgia, Ohio state, Michigan, and TCU. None of those four will be undefeated after conference championship week. Write it down right now. Mark this spot (laughs) on the week 10 uh, recap podcast. None of those four will be undefeated after conference championship week. So go look up their schedules. If you want, they're some opportunities to trip up for all four of those teams starting with this upcoming week for a couple of them but because of that the teams that i still have realistically having some form of a shot now it could be a one percent chance okay i'm not saying that any of these are likely especially when i get down my list but i've got georgia ohio state michigan tcu tennessee oregon usc UCLA, Clemson, yes, Clemson, even though they lost to Notre Dame yesterday, North Carolina and the champion, whoever rises out of the ashes of the SEC West, which is just a complete rubble wasteland right now, whoever rises out of the ashes of that division will have a shot, especially if they can knock off Georgia. So that's a long list. I realize that. I acknowledge that. But I legitimately think all of those teams are still mathematically alive for the college football playoff.
0: I mean, I can't see anybody coming out of the SEC West, honestly. I mean, that that many losses at this point in the season? I mean, I I don't know. I could see it. But think back to 2017. If Auburn
1: knocks off Georgia in the SEC Championship game, they are in, undoubtedly, in the college football playoff with two losses. So if LSU gets there with two losses, if
0: Ole Miss could still get there with one loss, if they can knock off Alabama this week, so... I guess okay technically you're talking about possibilities and you would have to have stuff fall your way the question where everybody was who's loses who's still alive and all yeah, those things that, that was a question well, to well, be okay. fair it I mean I guess question. look Ohio State could lose the next 4 and then let's see what or the next 3 and then see what happens but you know we, we could start talking about crazy hypotheticals um I I mean I don't see it it's a hot take I like it I like it for sure but uh no my list is pretty simple I've got uh, the University of Georgia coming in at number 1 Michigan well deserves to be number two they won't be on tuesday but they well deserve to be number two Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit ohio state comes in at number three for me tcu at number four i've actually got oregon at number five they've looked a lot better on this last part of the season and i think if there's one thing you can say about the playoff committee is they don't really care about the early losses you lose a game at the very beginning of the year especially if it's to a good team like i don't know say georgia uh, then they're gonna value that and say that you can you can improve over the last part of the year and boy, have the ducks looked better. And then I'm gonna go ahead and put Tennessee as my little last player that should make the graphic on Tuesday night. I do think they should be punished. obviously, dropping from one to six is a is a punishment there, but they just they didn't come out looking sharp. They didn't come out looking like a team ready to compete. They're not completely out of it. Again, some things could fall the right way, but you'd be talking about a possible you know, Georgia having to lose another couple and then they make their championship game despite the the tied record or whatever. And I don't know. I'm just not seeing the path for the Vols right now.
2: With Trey's scenario that no team survives the rest of the season undefeated, that opens the door back for Tennessee. Tennessee needs chaos. They need some of these You know, undefeated teams to fall because that was aside from Oregon shellacking at the very beginning of the season that was as uninspired a loss as I think you could have taken they did not look sharp the offense could not move the football and that defense at times looked like the Tennessee defense that we expected them to be in the preseason Um, for me so my first four are a projection of what we'll see on Tuesday night and then I've got a hodgepodge of teams that I think are still alive in the spirit of the question. So Georgia, Ohio state, Michigan, TCU would be my four right now. Do I know if that's going to be the playoff ranking? Nope. Have no idea. They always seem to throw a wrench into the works, but TCU was the snub last week. Uh, Tennessee vacating that spot. Clemson vacating a spot easily opens the door for them to be in the playoff uh, rankings at least. So Georgia, Ohio state, Michigan, TCU Teams that I have still alive, and I will give credit to Trey because I had completely forgot, again, that North Carolina only has one loss. So I've got LSU, Oregon, USC, North Carolina, UCLA, Ole Miss, Tennessee. No particular order. Um, that is not a, a ranking at all. It's just the list of the teams, that, as I thought of them, yes, they're still alive for a college football playoff berth. Some of them need more help than others um i think that LSU probably needs the most help in that they obviously have to win the SEC West but i also think that they need uh they they need they need chaos in 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 some other parts of it now if they win out and they beat Georgia they're in they've got to beat Georgia though right uh, so they are backs against the wall they've got to win out um, but I also think there's going to be some sort of psychological barrier to the first two-loss team. Um, now, Auburn, like you talked about in 2017, they were in. Had had they won that that SEC championship game, they're in. Uh, should probably be the same for LSU, but I don't know if we're completely sold on LSU being a playoff contender quite yet. We'll talk about that coming up. I do think Tennessee's still alive, but oh my gosh, they they need some help. Ole Miss Garrett to just counter what you were saying earlier. Ole Miss is very much alive. They've got one loss. If they sure. beat Mama, uh, you know, they then they they do need some help because they got shellacked by LSU. But a one loss SEC West champ, right? They would be. They would go to the SEC championship over LSU. Yeah, if they only have one loss.
0: Correct. Um, my point was more saying I don't think, or I I think what I was trying to get at is more the idea that. I don't see a way anyone's touching Georgia. In my scenario, I I don't think Georgia loses a game. I know that in your scenario, Trey, where you know, everyone's losing a game somewhere, then I guess Georgia might as well lose it in the championship game because I don't see where else they're gonna lose it. But for me, I don't think that even I, I don't think you can count anything on the SEC West because an idea that I'm gonna bring up today is I don't think there's that many very good teams left. I don't think there's that many very good teams in the country this year. I think overall the quality of each team has gone down across this country as opposed to maybe a few years ago. Whereas maybe a few years ago you would see a lot of teams who could say there's a real argument that they should win it. I think there's a lot of teams with some pretty big flaws. And there's some teams that I think are maybe more suspect that we're not talking about how suspect they are at this point. And if you had to make me pick just like my top four teams in terms of who I think is the most talented, I think it's going to look very different from what our rankings are going to indicate. And so I, 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 you know, there's still a path for a lot of these teams. I think there's still a way that a lot of these teams can make it in. And you're right. I mean, if Ole Miss wins out, if Ole Miss, you know, goes through and is a one-loss conference champion over Georgia, that's a good enough resume to get in. I just kind of have no idea how that's going to happen. I don't think they're that good of a team to beat Georgia. Ray, before, you in, be- before you jump in,
2: before you jump in, I was completely wrong. LSU is top of the SEC West right now. So they went out there and Ole Miss will need another loss from LSU to make it in. Go
1: ahead. Yeah. And to that point, I think you're talking about LSU needing a lot of help. I think they're actually the team on the outside right now that needs the least amount of help because if they roll off, roll through the rest of their schedule undefeated, uh, I think they have three SEC games left. I know they play Arkansas and A&M. I'm not sure who the other opponent is, but, they win those and then knock off Georgia. They're, they're in, guys. Like two losses are not the first one. You is skipped be over and away. knock
0: off Georgia pretty quick there.
1: No, no, no. I'm saying if this is all <laughs> hypothetical and we're talking about who is mathematically still alive. That was the original question, not okay. who's going to make the playoff because right now the playoff would be the four undefeated teams. So, mathematically, who's still alive and what's making more than just four games interesting next weekend? is L- LSU is the team that needs the least amount of help. They control their own destiny in the SEC West. And on, you know, in any given Saturday situation, they knock off Georgia in the SEC Championship. They're in. And, sure. you know, whatever happens to Georgia and the other teams after that, I don't think you leave them out for a Michigan or an Ohio State that didn't win their division. I don't think that you leave them out for one lost Clemson ACC champion. I don't think you leave them out for a Pac-12 champion, so I think they would be in if they won the SEC. But again, a lot has to happen. There's a lot to be decided between now and the Saturday after Thanksgiving, and it's going to be crazy. That's, that's just what I'm trying to get at. I think that anybody that's trying to tell you there's only four or five teams still alive, they haven't been watching college football that closely this year because it's been insane, and we can see a lot happen between
0: now and the end. It certainly has been crazy. Trey, I wanna at some point we might have to do this on the next show, but I wanna see how you're mapping this out and actually get a projection because it seems like you have an idea of something happening that's like well, I don't know that I can see. If you think that nobody's right now, finishing nobody's yeah. finishing the season undefeated. Yeah. yeah, show your work. Go ahead. George's
1: close Georgia's close is at Mississippi State, at Kentucky, Georgia Tech at home in a rivalry game, and then the champion of the SEC West and they have not had a good history in the SEC
0: championship. It they just decimated yeah. Tennessee, though. Is okay. there a better offense left on their schedule than Tennessee? I
2: wouldn't say decimated
0: Tennessee. That game wasn't close. If you watch that game, that well, game wasn't
2: it, close. Well, it, it wasn't on. close but because Tennessee couldn't score. I think There's multiple, multiple
0: ways to decimate
1: a team, and they did we've it We've seen Georgia. Georgia looks amazing. Look, I ranked Georgia number one last week, guys. I'm fully on the Georgia bandwagon. I'm just saying that we've seen them struggle – against worse teams than Mississippi State, Kentucky, and whoever wins the SEC West. We've seen them struggle against worse teams. Sure. Ohio State still has a bowl-eligible Maryland and Michigan on the schedule. Michigan has Illinois and Ohio State. Whoever wins Ohio State, Michigan will get you know whoever emerges from the shadow realm. That's probably <laughs> where the scenario has the most trouble, I do think. yeah, If someone finishes undefeated, I think the most likely is either Ohio State or Michigan, just from a strength of schedule standpoint. Right. And
0: TCU is a touchdown dog in the early lines next weekend. So oh, I agree. TCU's got a tough path. <laughs> I just I don't, I don't think I see the path for the dogs losing a game, not it, after what they just the showed me on Saturday and it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me because they just
1: really don't have a good track record against the SEC West, especially in the SEC championship game.
2: I, I will say Georgia if for, if for whatever reason, if the scenario unfolds where Georgia doesn't smother Tennessee's offense. They can not they they can lose. So like if 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 uh and quarterback at Mississippi State is just Will Rogers. Will Rogers. If he throws for 400 yards, Georgia might lose that game because I don't think Stetson Bennett can get in a gunslinging contest with a, an offense that can put up points in bunches. Now, is that a pipe dream considering how well Georgia's defense just played? Maybe so. But I I do agree with Trey that it's it's at least on the table. I don't know that Georgia or a uh, Michigan Ohio State losing to someone other than each other is very realistic. But uh, we didn't think a lot of scenarios were realistic in 2007, and yet you had ultimate chaos, right? I mean, the backyard brawls, sure. South Florida. So I do think that there's there's the path for a lot of different teams still on the table, and that oh, was but certainly that was, a path. Yeah.
0: I just think you have to start doing some real crazy gymnastics to get, you know, Ole Miss into the playoff. Which, again, it's not like they have a crazy path, or or LSU even into the playoff. I just think it's not like the the path itself is that crazy, but the things that you're having to skip over are. Yeah, you know that number one offense with Hendon Hooker and everything else, and five touchdowns, Jalen Hyatt against Alabama. Yeah, they didn't score like anything against no. Georgia. I no just don't no. see how you can skip over the fact that Georgia's playing some of the best football I've seen right now.
2: Yeah, well, that that defense was was really good, and I, you know, let's go ahead and get into it. We've so as I talked about in the last show, I think the last recap was the first time that we broke this down. We're going to structure the recaps a little differently. We're going to hand out recaps of the contenders and their games. Uh, some of them were not very interesting, so we'll blow by them. But we want to narrow the focus. So we'll do contenders. We'll then move into conference championship races, so games that impacted that, like Texas and Kansas State. Um, and then we'll get into other fun games, like SMU and Houston, scoring all the points and, and making FBS history. But let's start at the top uh, Tennessee, Georgia, <sighs> I was so wrong about this. I, I released my Saturday soliloquy, right? Uh, every game day, I'm doing a video on Instagram. Mine this week was on uh, on Tennessee and Georgia and how I thought there was a very real path to victory for Tennessee. I will say I was listening to SiriusXM radio while driving around the Metroplex this weekend, and they were talking about how NFL scouts were projecting Tennessee was going to hang 50-plus on Georgia, that it was going to be a runaway train between the hedges. And it was the exact opposite. Georgia smothered Tennessee's offense. They scored 13 points, one touchdown, and that was very late in the game. It was basically a garbage time touchdown as Tennessee was just throwing everything against the wall. Uh Stetson Bennett scored early. He scored often. The running game for Georgia was powerful. It was able to take Tennessee out of it. And then that defense looked. They, they schemed perfectly for Hendon Hooker. They did not allow the deep ball to be a threat. They didn't have the breakdowns on the back end that we saw so many other teams suffer from. And they blitzed Hendon Hooker. They got to the quarterback from a variety of different angles. In fact, they, they sacked Hendon Hooker three consecutive plays. Only two of them counted because one of them was a face mask penalty that gave Tennessee a first down on like fourth and 30. But they ran the same blitz three straight times and every single time the free safety got home to Hendon Hooker it just was a clinic in defensive defensive uh scheming and, and and blitz plays i was so impressed with how georgia played and without a doubt they're the top team in the country waking up today tomorrow on tuesday night when they rank this
1: yeah and i was i was on that before it was cool so if you, you were swear. clowning you me swear. for the cap. putting georgia number 1 not clowning
2: not clowning no, no, no. There
1: there was some social media clownage there. Oh, oh, but, yes, yes. Uh, you you did take some heat for that, yes. I took not, a little heat us. on social media. I think more for TCU. But, um, yeah, listen, this is one of the most talented teams in the country. And, you know, Garrett, I think you highlighted the talent discrepancy just on paper between these two teams on our preview show on Thursday. It's astounding. When you just look at sheer numbers, Jimmy's and Joe's, Georgia – is one of the most talented teams in the country and tennessee you know is not quite there yet from a depth and stability standpoint they have an amazing quarterback that's having a heisman caliber year and that's why they're in the top five and a great coach that can scheme offense with the best of them so when you run into a buzzsaw like georgia it's gonna always be difficult and when the vegas line came out as like 10 i think it opened at 10 and it was bet down to 8 by kickoff but that's just Vegas knowing that Georgia is still a really good team, even if they haven't shown it. So yeah, they just took the ball out of Hinton Hooker's hands, plain and simple. They got a big lead in the first half, I think 21 to three or 24 to three at halftime. And they just kind of sat on the ball. And that's what Georgia can do because they weren't afraid of Tennessee getting back into the game and they could have made an adjustment. They could have, you know, if Tennessee scores coming out of the half, they can make an adjustment and turn it right back on. But, they just kind of got the lead, sat on it, and took the air out of the football. And that's a good way to beat an offense that's scoring a bunch of points is just don't give them the ball. And that's what Georgia did. They confused Tendon Hooker with blitzes. They caused him to throw an interception for the first time since, like, week three, I think, or something crazy like that. So can't say enough good things about this Georgia defense. And the offense did just enough, I will say. To back up my take about them maybe losing a game down the stretch, the offense still looks a little sloppy. They had a couple turnovers. Stetson looked great in the first half, and then just everyone kind of went to sleep in the second half. But I will say I want to see just a little bit more cohesiveness on offense before I'm like, yeah, they're definitely going to finish unscathed.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, apparently defense is still going to win you some championships. Uh, it's it's the cliche, but, you know, we, we live in this age of offensive prowess and, you know, oh, it's impossible to make offense, you know, hard to do. And, you know, anyone can run a good offense and all that. You know, we, we talk about that. But, man, Georgia's defense is just at the most elite level that you could possibly be playing at in today's college football. And I think, honestly, we could be looking back and talking about the early 2020s Georgia defense And sort of that rarefied air when we talk about, you know, historic units of all time. And we talk about, oh, man, but do you remember those, you know, those teams back in the 90s and they did this. And, they you know, I think we could be talking about Georgia just with what they do on defense, which is really strange given how the rules are right now. I think that you wouldn't expect to talk about a defense in today's day and age. But, look, shame on any and all of us who doubted them and their ability to go repeat this thing. They are on top of everything. They're the, the kings of the hill. And they deserve to be there until someone else comes and take it from them. Tennessee, it just looks like a, they had a snowball's chance in hell. They just, they went into Athens. The crowd was crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they you know, first possession, they come out and they, they slow him down enough that they come out and they score a touchdown. And then they come out there. They had that crazy punt that went out at the one. And then they have that whole sequence on the punt. goal line. An yeah. insane punt, by the way. And the crowd was hype and they should have been right. There was just a rocket off his foot that rolled out at the one. I mean, that was incredible. I, I I get jazzed about that kind of stuff whenever you're talking about you know crazy special teams plays too. The thing I wanted to highlight with this is just in terms of the stat disparity. Georgia came into this game giving up 10.8 per game, and Tennessee came into this game scoring 45 per game. Something had to give, and it was clearly Tennessee's offense that gave. The, Georgia got to do what they wanted to do. We know what Georgia is. They statistically speak for themselves. You know, are they incredible on offense? No, they're not incredible on offense, right? They scored 27 points. And by the way, props to Tennessee's defense for holding them to 27. I know that they didn't have the mm-hmm. best day. I know that there were some frustrating moments and there are a couple blown coverages. There's that big one to I, gosh, I can't remember who, but they had a blown uh, coverage the early in that game. McConkie, the, the yeah. McConkie, yeah, the yeah. That was <clears throat> but like, you know, props to them. If you were to tell Tennessee fans, Hey, you know, Georgia scored twenty seven on Saturday. They would have been ecstatic, right? They would have been like, Oh my gosh, we're going all the way, book your tickets to Atlanta. And then you said, Oh yeah, by the way, you only scored thirteen. They said, Wait, I'm sure I heard you wrong. Thirty? No, yeah. <laughs> thirteen. You only scored thirteen points in this game. You know, so so props to them. Great job to them. And yeah, is the offense incredible? No but your offense doesn't have to be incredible when your defense is at this level, right? Do I want to see him score more points? Yeah. I want to see him utilize Brock Bowers more. I want to see him establish somebody as a leader outside of the wide receiver core. I want to see him do more than just run the football. I'd like to see Stetson Bennett play a little bit better at the same time. They don't have to right now. They really don't have to. They just played probably the best offense they could play. And they, they held him to 13 points. Ohio state was running the same offensive numbers. I broke that down going into the the show last week. That means that Ohio state should score about 13. And after what they did in Chicago, that sounds about right. You know, it's, it's not going to be pretty for people that play Georgia this year. This is why I think at this point, I feel extremely comfortable having them cruise to a 15 and O and a repeat of the championship. For me, I think this knocks Tennessee out. I know we just talked about the playoffs and all the different paths for a bunch of people, but I think if you're talking about a team making it in that didn't even win their division, I think you're talking about Ohio state or Michigan and I don't think you're talking about Tennessee. So that's just my perspective on this one. I know that we had a different conversation about that off the top, but that's where it comes down to for me. But this is all about Georgia, just being the best team in the country by a mile.
2: Tennessee needs help. There's no doubt about it. The optics are not not great. Um, I think it's going to come down to who loses that Ohio State-Michigan game and how they lose it, because that's probably going to be the nearest nearest point of reference. Uh,
1: Trady, what, what do you think? Well, if you believe the All-State playoff predictor on ESPN's website, I plugged it in earlier today with Tennessee winning out and not making their conference championship game. And it said they have a 67% chance still to make the playoff. So I don't know where they're getting their numbers from. And I know that in the past it's been kind of a, you know, haha look at this, but that thing is usually somewhat accurate. So yeah. I, I'll say, I'll just throw that number out there. The most impressive stat to me for this game, Tennessee was held to 94 rushing yards and just over two yards per carry so yeah, yeah. insane like what i was highlighting last week with the kentucky game is if you can contain hendon hooker's scrambling ability you have a really good chance to shut down tennessee that's what Georgia did 18 attempts for 17 yards for hendon hooker
0: yeah not very good i will say on that playoff predictor if it was the geico playoff predictor i might trust it but i'll stay uh, sure i'm in good hands you know
2: i they they certainly have some interesting like when texas texas still technically i believe has a percentage chance at the playoff with three losses so does Utah,
1: and, i think they're at yeah. like a two percent chance or something yeah so that that gets,
2: that gets memed a lot uh let's go over to the sec west now lsu stuns alabama 32 31 they go for two in overtime i can't believe saban got out coached in this game um now listen alabama's defense has been a liability this year and it was a liability last night they had no answer for Jaden daniels but Saban going for two early in the fourth quarter, I believe, and costing Alabama a point. They did not get it. They get stuffed short of the goal line, and then you're uh, you're really wishing for a point late in the game when LSU's tied it and sends you to overtime. It just it felt weird. It felt like for once in his career, Saban was mortal. That he was victim to the the the. Um, The moment was too big for him. The the atmosphere was too big for him even as well. And just some some strange coaching decisions up and down. Um, Brian Kelly came out and won this game. Look, LSU's defense is fun. They flew around. They didn't necessarily contain Bryce Young throughout the longevity of the game, but they certainly had their moments. Um, I know freshman Harold Perkins, for all of his drama, looked great last night as an edge rusher. They've they've had him as a spy, but then they also bring him on a lot of pressures. I think he had seven quarterback pressures last night. Um, what what's your what's your take on this? I mean, gosh, it feels like Alabama's season for all intents and purposes is kind of over. And maybe all of a sudden there's a window of opportunity opening in the SEC West, not only this year, but going forward as well.
0: Yeah. I want to start talking about LSU because I think they deserve for us to talk about them first and kind of give them their props. Look, after, you know, kind of struggling to start the year, you know, I wonder, man, how different could their season be right now if they just didn't gaff on that extra point in New Orleans, right? If they just didn't completely whiff and, and blow the end of that game, you know, how different could their season actually be looking? But man, massive props to what Brian Kelly's done with LSU and and to what he's been able to build there. He's still not a culture fit. You're never going to convince me that he fits at LSU, but you don't have to fit. I know if there's one thing those people like is if you're going to win. So you could be the weirdest guy, just insulting these people to their faces. And if you're winning, they're kind of not going to care. That's going to kind of let you do what you want to do. So You know, great job by what he's been able to do. You know, Jaden Daniels has looked really impressive, I think, what he's been able to do and kind of revive his career, make himself relevant again you know, with LSU. I think it's awesome for him. Love the way he's playing. Lots of gumption, lots of just, you know, fighting, no quitting him right now. It's awesome to watch. Um, I think LSU's cemented themselves as a top 10 team at this point. I think that they're for sure on their way to a BCS bowl. And if you believe Trey, maybe they could be, you know, outside, you know, playoff people. I'm, you know, I'm ribbing a little bit, but I don't know. So talk about Alabama, you know, earlier in this year, we were all together on the same day that Bama barely escaped Texas, right? They just barely escaped. We were all really concerned for them saying, okay, what the heck? And I asked kind of jokingly, oh my gosh, is Saban washed? Like, is it over for Nick Saban? I think we might need to start having that conversation for real. I really do think we're starting to get to the point where man, Nick Saban, I don't think he's got whatever it was. I think, you know, I don't know if it's his age I don't know if the game's starting to pass him a little bit. He made that – we talk about it all the time. He made the adjustment to be able to get that offense in the right place and to kind of change the way that they were going to do things on the offensive side of the football. That extended the dynasty. But I'm starting to wonder, you know, like as recruiting has gotten a little bit better for a lot of these other programs, starting to kind of take the talent away from him, you know, as as you start to see them lose a couple of these extra games, get that on the locker room a little bit. Is this the end of Nick Saban's, you know, not tenure, not I'm not saying he's going to lose his job, but is this kind of the end of him being the absolute, you know, unquestioned king of college football? And are we going to start to see him come back down to earth and see if maybe another dynasty can kind of rise up there? Is is Kirby Smart ready to take his place up there at the top if they can repeat or even three-peat, right? Because I know that next year's schedule doesn't look too tough for the dogs either. I mean... Come, you, you're talking about at Alabama, you've got the reigning Heisman Trophy quarterback. You've got one of the best defensive ends that we've seen in years playing for you. You've got a, a stud of a running back who's averaging 6.8 per carry this year. I mean, you've got pieces. Your your receivers, maybe they're not nearly as good as what they have been in the past, but you've got pieces. You should be able to commit this and, and, and scheme this in a way that, you know, you can start winning some of these bigger games and, Here you are losing to Tennessee and LSU in the same year. I mean, they're a couple plays away from being, you know, what, eight and four if A&M calls a different play on the goal line and if Texas can, you know, make one more kick or extra point somewhere in that game. I mean, they've been pretty close this year. And, man, I just – I wonder if – is it the edge? I don't know. It just – it doesn't look like it's the same team. They're not nearly as physical. They're not playing at the same edge. I think this is the decline for Alabama. I think this is kind of the last year we're going to be talking about Bama being the unquestioned leader of this sport. They might still win another championship with him there. I still believe in his ability as a coach, but I don't think he's going to you know, have the advantages that he's had in the past. Yeah, it certainly feels like Georgia and Alabama have kind of switched places, at least in their
1: perception, in my mind, of where they rank nationally and in the SEC Everything, whether or not this dynasty is over, whether or not you know Saban is washed, that is all going to depend on what he does this offseason. This this season, he's he's done. Like they are not going to the playoff this season, barring some just absolutely hysterical breaking through of like a, an open shot to Atlanta and a shot at Georgia. And that doesn't look possible with Ole Miss and LSU both in their way and having you know, a loss ahead in the loss column and LSU basically having two games over them. So it it looks like, you know, the aspirations for this year are done. What he does this off season is going to determine if the program is still up to that standard going forward because I think he has the two worst coordinators he's ever had at Alabama. Um Bill O'Brien needs to be gone before this season. Like he needs to be gone yesterday. I don't it's I don't know why we Yes, exactly. Like, it's the worst combination he's ever had as a head coach, especially at Alabama. I feel very comfortable saying that. And I don't know if it's just that coordinator and assistant carousel finally catching up with him. I don't know if it's bad culture fits from the transfer portal. I don't know what it is. I do know that he had the highest ranked, you know, by talent, average talent recruiting class last year. So it's not a talent issue. I wonder if it's a new generation of athlete that's just not responding to his type of coaching. I know I've mentioned this on the podcast before. He's been open about having to coach a different way the last couple of years because the kids just haven't responded to the way that he used to coach. And it's a new generation. If he can't adapt to that new generation of athlete that's coming to him, those kids aren't changing. And short of him you know, going to coach at a military academy, he's not going to get a different type of kid that's uh gonna respond to a hard nose same way he coached the rest of his career so that's not an indictment on him I'm not saying he abused anybody in the past I'm not saying this new generation of athlete is too soft or anything like that but it's a different generation of kid and you have to adapt to that if you want to be successful with that type of kid because some coaches you can see are being successful with that and others might be slipping away so I don't want to make you know one or two losses, just an indictment on the whole man's career or on his future aspirations, but Jaden Daniels basically beat him single handedly last night. He did. And if this was 2015 Alabama, the final score of that game is 21 to 3 Alabama. Yeah. Because he's gonna take away, he's gonna scheme and take away. And his defensive coordinator, he and his defensive coordinator, whoever it would be, Kirby or um, whoever it would be, would just scheme that away. They would take away the best weapon. And LSU wouldn't have been able to move the ball. And in 2022, that's not what happened. He let one player beat him, probably for the first time since Bo Wallace was at Ole Miss. So, gosh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's scary if you're an Alabama fan right now. This is uncharted territory. You haven't been this pessimistic about your football program probably since 2006.
2: I wonder what they do with all their free time. I I agree. Bill O'Brien, Pete Golding, both got to go. They are not good, um, and I think, I think a lot of it just seems like, certainly defensively, it feels like, look, man, you got the, some of the best talent in the country. I mean, you're, you're constantly in the top two or three recruiting classes. Figure it out, man. Like, you've got juniors and seniors. It's not like they're a young team, and yet Pete Golding just seems like he's unable to adjust, and, and especially when you have an athletic quarterback, like Jaden Daniels, and it's not like he's just running the football. He threw it well against him last night as well. Poor tackling by the Bama secondary. I mean, it, it just it was not fun to watch if you were a Bama fan. Um, I completely agree. I think there's it's there's a come to Jesus moment that needs to happen in Tuscaloosa, which is crazy to talk about that with two losses when other programs have that at you know three, four, five losses. But
1: it is what it is. I wonder if he was trying to be too cutting edge with the transfer portal because. I think coming into the season, we saw the addition of Jameer Gibbs and who, who was the corner? They also they also got the uh, corner. Ricks, Eli you. Ricks. Yeah, Ricks. And we were like, oh, goodness. like This transfer portal rule was supposed to even out the town. Alabama is just taking advantage of it more than anybody. I think what made Alabama so deadly was just the buy-in to the culture that everyone in that building had. And if you bring in these transfers that are used to being the guy, at their school, like Gibbs was at Georgia Tech. I'm not saying Gibbs is a cancer or anything like that. He's been a great weapon. He's been there, great. But, but just getting the same buy-in is way tougher when you get a guy out of the transfer portal versus, you know, recruiting him for two or three years in high school and then having him show up as a freshman and earn that spot rather than just maybe it being given to him.
0: Yeah. I want to point to that as uh, the big guy that I was thinking of was Tyler Harrell, the wide receiver that came over from Louisville. Yeah, and absolutely, He has not been a factor this year. I don't even know if he's really played or seen anything like significant on the field, but he just hasn't been a factor. He was supposed to be their best receiver. The, you know, the next, you know, big name Bama receiver to go off and be considered for the bullet and all the other, it's like, he was supposed to be that guy. And he just, he hasn't played like, and I, I think if I remember correctly, I might be making this up, but if I remember correctly, earlier in the season there were rumors that there were like behavioral issues that was why he couldn't yep. make the roster and he couldn't end up getting on there. So that goes oh, to your may, point, he's Trey the, that is on the
2: team. He just it, But he yeah, he wasn't able to actually
0: anymore. get into playing time and all that. But to your point, Trey, I mean that's that's a huge factor why. Like if he's a guy who doesn't have his head on straight and he's not locked into their process at Alabama, then that's gonna not just affect him and the team that was counting on him to be the guy but also affect the players around him who see that and say, I can do that too. So. Uh,
2: Let's move on and let's, we'll kind of skip Ohio state Northwestern ugly game, uh, torrential winds. It was 40 mile an hour gusts at times. Ohio state was at at one point losing seven, nothing to Northwestern. They do score 21 straight, but it was, it was impossible to move the ball consistently in just some brutal conditions. Um, I, I know that, It wasn't an impressive win, necessarily, but at the same time, Trey, I think you have in your notes, this is Big Ten football, right? I mean, this is what happens in November. You get out in the elements, and sometimes you got to win a game, 21-7. Let's move on, though, just uh, for sake of time. Let's go to Notre Dame, just exposing Clemson. 35-14, the Irish take down the Tigers. They just... Clemson cannot compete against a decent defense. DJU is not explosive or dynamic. He throws for 191 yards, one touchdown. It, it was just ugly. I, at one point, I think it was was it 28 nothing. Am I am I right on that? It was either 21 nothing or tw- no, it was 28 nothing. 28, yeah. Clemson just couldn't couldn't get on the board. So, um, you know, I think it's it's fun to see as um, you know people who have had to watch Clemson be one of the halves and listen, Dabo Swinney's done a great job. He's built this program up from what was a, a hapless program. He's figured out how to recruit there. He's figured out how to win national championships there. But I think it's, it's kind of nice for us with a national perspective to see a team that is victimized. One of the worst conferences in sports uh, has had a cakewalk to at least the college football playoff several of these years get humbled a little bit, right? Find find their their footing be a lot less even uh to to some of these teams and you know they've had close calls, but Notre Dame finally gets them on the positive side. You know, Trey, you always say talk about the team that that won the game. Good for Marcus Freeman. I we were seriously talking about bowl eligibility being a question for the Fighting Irish, and now you've got Marcus Freeman going viral for saying winning is addictive and how confident he feels about his program.
1: Yeah, can't say enough good things about Marcus Freeman. Uh, with the start that they had dating back to the Fiesta Bowl last year and j- just really, really happy for him that he is finally starting to see some success and some really real success. I'm excited to see how they can close because they have a couple opportunities to, again, pull off some big upsets with the USC game coming up in a couple weeks. So, yeah, I mean, they were my lucky dog of the week two weeks in a row. They knock off a ranked ACC opponent two weeks in a row. They are 33-0. and In their last 33 matchups against the ACC, just absolutely insane dominance of that conference in the regular season. Um, I think that the only slip up they had was in that ACC championship game in 2020 against Clemson. But yeah, you told the story, Mitch. When you lose to a team, and I'm not trying to throw shade at Drew Pine, but he was nine of 17 for 85 yards and a touchdown. And when you lose to a team whose starting quarterback has that line, and he didn't leave the game with an injury halfway through. You got some big problems on offense and it's nothing we haven't already beat to death. When I woke up and turned on game day and saw that DJ Wu was the starter, I was super confident because what that told me is Cade Klubnik was not ready. You know, they gave him every opportunity to take that job over these two weeks. And look, the kid's talented, but he just wasn't ready. He came in through one pass and it was intercepted last night. So mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is what Clemson is in 2022, and this is what Clemson is without Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson. They're a team with a really, really good defense who when they come up against a team that can make them pay for mistakes, they're probably going to lose and they're probably not going to look very good doing it.
0: Yeah, and to be clear, to start with Marcus Freeman and those boys, great job keeping your team together through a tough start to the season. right? I I want to emphasize on that because – You know, they they start the year, obviously, with the tough loss to Ohio State. They lose some. They're they're not really together as a locker room. You know, it it didn't seem like they were doing that well. It looked like the season was about to go down the toilet. And, man, things just came together. He kept them together. He kept the team on the same page through some serious adversity. And, man, like, give this team a little bit of time, a little bit of talent. This program could be really good. And I think we're starting to talk about maybe – Notre Dame coming up and being a serious contender and not just every couple of years they get the right to get smacked down by the number one seed right I think we could be talking about a serious contender here in the next couple of years if Freeman can keep these guys on the same page but man yikes Clemson girl that was ugly that was not great (laughs) um this is a Notre Dame team that was starting to round into form but none of us thought that the Tigers would get embarrassed like that I mean, I I didn't see that one coming at all. All of us thought, I think we even brought it up, like which would be more surprising if Clemson blows out Notre Dame or if Notre Dame blew out Clemson. And I think it was way more surprising that Notre Dame blew out Clemson. You know, it's probably starting to get to time where they need to think about the future on that offense. And, you know, let's go get Cade Klubnick his his licks, right? Get him his blow, you know, just make sure he gets a chance to, you know, go through, get his lumps and and – start to learn a little bit about what it means to play at the college level, right? Practice reps are great. Game reps are a little bit more valuable. And if they want a chance to continue being successful and and continue to, you know, stay at the top as a program, they need to get their quarterback spot, right? DJU, not there. I, I think we probably, you know, had a little bit of the fool's gold from, you know, looking at him playing well against some not so good teams in the ACC when we thought they were pretty good um and maybe at the end of the day um he just wasn't that good and those teams weren't that great on defense either and you know now that they're playing teams that are starting to matter a little bit and that are starting to you know actually be good teams uh they're getting exposed they're getting exposed for what they are so you know, ugly 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 from clemson but you know that is what it is and that's that's where they are at this point but hats off to notre dame on this one great to see them succeed and we and we berated the clemson
1: offense but clemson's defense allowed 263 rushing yards to a team that was very clearly one dimen- one dimensional. Yeah, yeah. And only completed passes to three different receivers on the night. So <laughs> like it, it was just an overall bad performance, a team that just didn't look like they wanted to be there and played kind of scared. And that's not something we're used to seeing. We're used to seeing the poor offensive performances, but we're definitely not used to seeing that type of defensive performance. Yeah.
2: Yeah, South Bend, evidently something there is has got the Tigers something number there.
1: Huh? So there's just something in the water for Clemson in Ev- Indiana. Evidently.
2: evidently. Uh, let's go to Michigan. I tell you what, they gave us a scare. They trailed Rutgers at the half, 52 17. Quick notes on this uh, game from you guys. It, it, I was truly getting ready to kind of talk about all right, you know, Michigan. Mm, are we overrating them? Are we overrespecting them? And then they came out and they they got right in the second half, blew away the Scarlet Knights, uh, still obviously in the in the driver's seat. And that seems to be a sentiment that you guys both echo.
0: Well, I'm sorry that it wasn't windy. So that could be a really nice excuse for Michigan. So we could just excuse away their poor performance and maybe say that. the Oh, wait, they ended up winning 52 17. So it wasn't even a poor performance. Look, and I'm going to put this one to bed. I want to go ahead and try to go ahead and make my point here. Why are we still thinking that Ohio State is better than Michigan? Okay, I, I understand they are good traditionally. I understand they're fun. They have a fun offense. C.J. Stroud plays well, unless it's windy or something. But if if Michigan yesterday went on the road to Northwestern and it was windy and then they beat them 21-7 to – We would be talking about how Michigan's overrated. This is that Michigan team again, back to where there should be. They're just not explosive on offense. They're super limited. And instead, what do they do? They go to Rutgers, they get down to start, and then they score 21 points in under two minutes in the second half, not 21 points in an entire game in Chicago, first off, but 21 points in like two minutes of game time. They didn't settle for field goals. That was one of my main concerns with Michigan's offense was they'd been settling for too many field goals. And and I think that that was something that was going to come back to bite them, right? They're not finishing their drives. That wasn't a problem against Ruggers. And and I'm hoping that's a a sign of things to come, right? The Blake Coram show just continued rolling on. He had another good game. I would have liked to have seen them start the game a little better, obviously. I mean, I would have liked to have seen them not get down, but I'm not going to punish them, unlike the college football playoff, for getting down in a game. I'm not the college football playoff. I think you're allowed to trail in a game as long as you handle your business. And, and yeah, I will go ahead and take my shots at Ohio State who we looked over. They have some question marks. This is not the first game they've struggled to score points in. This is not the first game they've struggled to pass the ball in. This is not the first time this year that they haven't looked good for extended periods of time in a game. Now, yes, they came back. They struggled. They had their struggle game, right? That you're allowed to have a struggle game. But for terms of, in, in terms of just ranking teams for where they are right now, They had their struggle game. They've looked more susceptible than Michigan is. The college football playoff will not put Michigan ahead of Ohio State, but they should. They absolutely should. Michigan is the better team right now. They might still lose to Ohio State at the end of the year on the road. That's a tough place to play, but they are the better team right now. And if I had to pick a team to win, I would pick Michigan to win this just based on what I've seen to this point in the season. So I think Michigan's the better team. I still think by resume they're the better team here, great job against Rutgers by, by coming back and scoring all those points in the third and fourth quarters. And, you know, I was, I was waiting to go back to that one since we wanted to skip over Ohio state and their terrible performance. Answer me this, just honest feedback on this one. If Oregon played Colorado and won 21 to seven, but it was a little windy, would we be talking about them the same way we're talking about them today? If Georgia played yes. Vanderbilt and won 21 to seven, and it was a little windy, would he be talking about them the same way we're talking about him today?
2: It was 40 mile an hour. <laughs> my
0: guy, my I guy. watched the game. I watched the game. I saw it. There's a punt that you know, I remember the best they moment couldn't I texted kick about field
1: this. goals from more than 30 yards out. <laughs> score touchdowns. It's Northwestern.
0: it's Northwestern. It's Northwestern score. Touchdowns run the ball. It's they Northwestern.
1: Did, they did in the second half,
0: but listen, how many 21 points that's not hey, a lot of I, points. I don't
1: think we're i don't think we're down on michigan i don't know why you're no, so not at, all. About michigan. Not, not at all no no
0: i'm talking about the national narrative right now that michigan is not better than ohio state there's a national narrative that we should just slot ohio state up there too let's not even think about it
1: well okay but you're the one that says teams are allowed to have bad games and as Correct. long as they keep winning it's okay so Why is Ohio state not allowed to have a bad game? They're allowed to have a bad game.
0: Obviously they're allowed to have a bad game. But what I'm saying is if you have a bad game and you come out and you, you know, you don't look super impressive, but the teams that you're competing with for, you know, positioning in the college football playoff, they come out there and look way more impressive. They deserve to be slotted higher than you.
1: Sure. And you know what? Michigan's season is November 26th. Like, Sure. They could stub their toe between now and then. And if they win on November 26th and they win the Big Ten Championship, they're still in the playoff and I'll be right in the world. So Michigan's going to be have clear. A same
0: thing for Ohio State. Absolutely. This whole yeah. season is one game.
1: Absolutely. And both of them have already played the only other somewhat competent team that they'll play in Penn State. And sure. listen, it, I'm not going to make excuses for Ohio State. I'm not going to fanboy for Ohio State, but Garrett, were you not mad at Dan Orlovsky for just trashing Kellen Mond against LSU in 2020 when it was some driving rainstorm?
0: And they were like, sure, why are they sure. not winning convincingly against this bad team? Oh, like, okay, but no, hold on. Not against a bad team. Okay, LSU was bad that year. LSU was They're, so not bad that year. They're not Northwestern. LSU was They're not Northwestern. So They're not Vanderbilt. Bad They're not Colorado. It's not these one-win teams that won maybe you know 50 years ago and then we're just going to act like, that one win against Hawaii or against Nebraska at the beginning of the year still means anything. This Northwestern team is a bad team who I guarantee you, if Michigan walked in there yesterday under the same conditions, they would have been able to run the football and score more points than 21. All okay. Right. You can wow, take it to I'm the middle. Move on. I'm take gonna, it to
2: I'm the I'm this because I'm not going down that hypothetical 50 minute. <laughs> I'm just saying. All right. Moving on down to Fort Worth, TCU beats Texas tech 34, 24, Very physical play from TCU defense. Uh, Certainly not pointing a finger, saying that they're doing anything wrong, playing dirty at all. Um, Do not hear that. But I will say a disturbing trend. TCU has now knocked out five of the last six quarterbacks that they've played for the game. Baron Morton being the most recent casualty. Um, yeah, just just something to keep an eye on. But TCU, uh, their their defense smothered Tech's offense. Once the backup quarterback carousel came in for the Red Raiders, it was kind of over. Um, and, and TCU is is undefeated once again. They're nine and zero. They're marching towards the Big Twelve championship game and hopefully a college football playoff. What do you guys take from from that game over the Red Raiders?
1: Yeah, on the on the whole, in quarterback injury thing, obviously five quarterbacks getting hurt against you at some point. It stops being a coincidence, but until the NCAA figures out what targeting is, I'm not going to really go too deep down the rabbit hole of, you know, is this team playing dirty? Is this team guilty of targeting all the time? We can't even agree on what that is week to week. So I'm going to step back from that debate. I'll also say they have been playing a lot of running quarterbacks and with a physical defense that can punish people and that hits hard. You know, you you talk about Adrian Martinez, Dylan Gabriel. Um, Yesterday, for some reason, the whole tech offensive plan in the first half was to run Baron Morton. And even on a third and 11, the play that he got hurt, I was just like, what? It was a designed run. I was just like, what are we doing? So I don't know that we can blame TCU for that. It is a weird, I don't even know that I want to say the word coincidence at this point, but it's a weird happenstance. It's a weird occurrence. And... I don't know. Definitely something to watch going forward, especially if they can't get the targeting under control, because that could cost them if it's a key defender that ends up getting suspended for a path.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think you can chalk this one up more, to I think probably just lack of discipline more than anything else. I think it's probably lack of discipline combined with just way too much energy on that side of the ball. You can kind of combine that together. I don't think it's malicious. I don't want to chalk that up. You might have a couple guys on there that they just want to have that mean streak, but I think probably more than anything else, they're they're playing with a lot of momentum. They know what's at stake. They're playing really well, and they want to make sure that they're holding up their side of the deal. If their offense is going to go score some points, so maybe they get a little enthusiastic and they they hit guys. Regardless, you know it's something to watch. Um, but but anyways, after that's been said and done, everything being accounted for. TCU wins, they cover, and they should be top four. They belong in the top four. They're still undefeated. Not maybe an amazing day from Duggan, right? But I, I like the run game, what Kendra Miller was able to do on the ground. I think he had like 150 something rush yards. So really good performance from him. He's, you know, he seems to be aware that offense is running through on the ground. Uh, they have a lot of ways to win it on that side of the ball. Right. They, they start on the ground. They, they like to try to run the ball and establish the run and then kind of pass from there. But, man, they can hit you with the big plays. They can, you know, have a receiver bust open downfield real quick and score a quick touchdown. They can also play possession and just kind of, you know, dink and dunk you for a little bit of here and a little bit there and kind of extend the game if that's the game plan. So they've done a lot of great things on that offensive side of the ball. And so I kind of get why the defense would want to match that on the defensive side. But, man, nobody has really been able to figure out how to stop this in terms of, you know, consistently for an entire game. Huge prove-it week for them coming up against Texas next week. I know that they should be ranked. I still kind of have a suspicion they won't be uh, in that top four. I just kind of have a feeling that maybe they'll only let Tennessee slide to number four and they'll just kind of let them sit there for a little bit. I don't think that's what should happen, but I kind of have the feeling that could happen. With that being said, though, again, go beat Texas next week. All of College Game Day watching, everyone in the nation kind of, you know, taking a little bit of their time out of their day to watch that game and focus on that one. You go beat the Longhorns on the road. Yeah, you're going to have no problem getting ranked.
2: So mad that Tulane isn't getting College Game Day. I I was really hoping that the Green Wave would, would be rewarded for that, but it is what it is. They deserve it. Uh, Y'all go ahead and give me quick thoughts. Oregon 49, Colorado 10, USC 41, Cal 35. The Pac-12 playoff hope seemed to ride on Oregon and USC. UCLA still very much a part of the conversation, but probably not uh, easily expected to get there. Oregon looked uh, impressive offensively. They continue an upward trajectory. USC's defense looked bad against Cal, a team that cannot score the football. Um, Very quick temperature take on both those Pac-12 teams.
0: On Oregon, this is what a playoff contender is supposed to do to a team with one win all year. You're supposed to go in there and just beat the brakes off of them. So good job, Oregon. Way to handle your business. Um, I know it wasn't windy, but that's fine. Um, On USC, I kind of don't get the whole USC contender vibe. I know that they're, they're still technically in it and they could still technically win out and, you know, end up winning this conference, but I just don't kind of think they belong in that contender conversation right now. There's just too many problems on the defense and obviously UCLA, they're still in it, but I think that kind of is, is fading off as well. I, I will say if you want it to keep going and if you want to impress some people, DTR is the guy leading your offense that you want to do it. So, um, good job to them, obviously, but I kind of think Oregon is kind of where the majority of the, of the hopes lie for the Pac-12 getting into the playoff at this point. I agree with that, you know, to an extent. I think USC is kind of a, defend,
1: a contender by default at this point. You know, if they finish 12-1, and one, they're going to be right there in that discussion. It depends on what kind of dominoes fall elsewhere, but I think either UCLA or Oregon will knock them off. Uh, either UCLA in the regular season, Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game and kind of make that a moot point. I will say just to kind of go to bat for the Trojans a little bit, I know they've had their defensive struggles and looking up and seeing that Cal scored 35 on you is never a good sign. It was 34 to 14 at the end of the third quarter. So a lot of that was kind of garbage time last ditch effort. And yeah, it did make it a one possession game with two minutes to go, but I'll go to bat for the Trojans just a little bit on Oregon. Is Bo Nix the Heisman front runner right now after Hinden Hooker's performance yesterday? I don't know.
0: There's I a case to be made.
1: Hinden Hooker's allowed to have a bad game. And I think if Tennessee finishes 11 1, it's going to be hard to take that from him. But Bo Nix might be the guy to do it if he shows out a couple times down the stretch here.
2: I, I kind of agree. I don't
1: love it, but I kind of. I...
0: Could you imagine Bo Nix no. winning the Heisman with Oregon?
1: are we prepared to live in a world where Kansas is bowl eligible? Bo Nix wins the Heisman and I don't know, TCU's in the playoff. I don't know. I don't no, know I'm, if I'm ready. For I'm that. not, but it's fully I'm fully prepared. Strap
0: yourself not, in.
2: But it just came, seems to be coming down the pipe. So whatever it is. Um. All right. Did conference championship battles just so we don't keep running long here. Let's talk big 12. So, Currently, the, the eyes are of the nation are watching the race for the second Big 12 championship spot, and that is a fascinating race. You've got Baylor, Kansas State, and Texas now all at 4-2 and two in the conference. Kansas and Oklahoma State are 3-3, three and three, but both of those teams look like they're going in opposite directions after Kansas's win yesterday. Uh, Texas, of course, hangs on. They beat Kansas State 34-27 in Manhattan. Horns nearly blew yet another double-digit le- halftime lead. It would have been, I believe, the eleventh of Steve Sarkeesian's career. But defense stands up late, it forces yet another game-ending turnover from Adrian Martinez. Just a sloppy fumble. of The football
1: who we had the- no idea was going to be playing. By the right, way, right? We did. Oh, we yeah, thought no. Will Howard
2: was going to be playing. Adrian Martinez suits up and and did fine. Kansas State was a little slow out of the gates offensively, but. Um, you know, for me, I, Chris Kleiman goes to the locker room with two timeouts still in his back pocket. I thought it was criminal mismanagement of the clock late, but Texas gets a much
1: needed road win. I think it was mismanagement that Will Howard didn't play personally. I don't know I what you want from the guy than going out and blowing out a top 15 team 48 to yeah. nothing the week
0: before. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, at least if you start slow, like give him a possession or two and see if he can still keep it up. Now, I will say I've been kind of hard on the horns recently saying, you know, OK, well, they're playing better, but let's you know be quick to or let's be slow to kind of jump on that and make sure they're OK. This is big for them to be able to go on the road, have some success against a very good team on the road um, and to not blow the lead. Right. They it looked like I'd seen this movie before. Right. You know, hey, Texas jumps out the couple touchdown lead here we go, fourth quarter, time to blow that lead and lose the game, right? And, and we had talked about that even as a possibility for, you know, this game. But, man, good job, Texas, um, you know, getting back into this one, making sure that you made the plays at the end to kind of seal the deal. I think that showed a lot of character, and I think it showed some growth as a program. And and for the fact that he wasn't amazing, I think Quinn played well enough to, to keep them in that game and, and to, you know, do what he needed to do to help them win on the road against a very good team.
2: Uh, let's go. Let's go to the Big Ten. We we return to the shadow realm. Sporty. Michigan State stuns Illinois 23-15. I'm legitimately mad at this result. After <laughs> everything that went on last week with Michigan State, I just didn't expect them to go on the road and beat Illinois. And that's exactly what they did. Illinois did not look good offensively in this game. They now have two horrendous losses you know, they were a possession away from beating Indiana. They're basically first half away from beating Sparty. If they don't come out just to sleep at the wheel early on in that game, maybe they, they beat Michigan state down eight plus players due to suspension for their brawl last week against Michigan. Um, They're within reach of the shadow realm. Now they, they do still hold the lead in the big 10 West, but they've got a big game against Purdue this week. And if Purdue were to win suddenly Purdue would be in the driver's seat so kind of uncomfy time for for Bert and and his crew um I don't know if you guys have thoughts on this game it was a sloppy low scoring game but gosh I'm just
1: mad
0: no Michigan State's not a good team and they still found a way to do this that once you think that you've established a leader in the shadow realm it comes back to bite you right you think oh hey here comes a team they're gonna go ahead and stand out above the rest I was fooled as well after last week's results, I thought for sure this is the team that's going to go ahead and, you know, just get their head chopped off by Michigan or Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game. But man, here they go losing to losing to Michigan State, a team like you were saying missing guys for the for the fight. I mean, props to them for showing some fight on the field this week that hadn't been there for a couple of weeks. So. Um, yeah, good job, Michigan State showing up for this one. And I don't know if it was maybe a rallying around the adversity and showing up focused to practice this week or something. I mean, I don't know why we got that result, but yep. Another confusing result to head back to the shadow room with.
1: Yeah, not much else you can say. I mean, I could mention the wind because we're still in the state of Illinois, but, um, we beat that point to death. So yeah, I mean, Illinois, when you rely so much on one player, Sometimes you're gonna get got right. Even if it's a bad team, you're just gonna have a bad day. That's what happened to Illinois. They still control their own destiny to get to Indianapolis, but guys, is Iowa gonna sneak into the Big Ten championship?
0: No, 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 no. Don't open this. I hope worms. so. I really hope so. <laughs> just because it would make no sense and make
1: everyone mad, please. We're looking at a four-way tie currently for second place, one uh one game back from Illinois. It's Wisconsin, Purdue, Iowa, and Minnesota. So our golden gopher dream is still alive, technically, but goodness gracious, this it's the shadow realm. What else can you say? It is. is. You go in the spin
2: cycle, you don't come out. Uh, North Carolina 31-28, they barely beat the Cavaliers, but they can clinch the Coastal with a win next week against Wake Forest, considering, uh, well, I guess they're not technically on the same side of the division, are they? But Wake Forest loses to NC State. That was, ugh. Cannot believe that happened. NC State, congrats. With a backup quarterback, I didn't think you would beat Sam Hartman. You did. Uh, UCLA 50, Arizona 30, Arizona State, excuse me, 36. So we mentioned the Bruins are very much still alive for the Pac-12 title game. And then some group of five results that we kept our eyes on. Tulane is up to what was 19 this weekend. I'm gonna. I'm interested to see how high they jump. They rolled Tulsa 27-13. They still hold the lead for all group of five teams getting to near six you had ucf in a shootout against memphis hold on 35 28 coastal beats app state in a very big upset in the sun belt uh 35 28 i mentioned that and then troy they win that wasn't the issue when we were talking about it on the podcast it was the dang spread and troy wins by six uh to to blow that cover Trey obviously picked that correctly. Garrett and I did did not by lock one, of the week. By one point. So, you know, <laughs> that, that hurts. Um, group of five. This is the the time of the year that it gets really fun. Uh, I really do hope Tulane holds on. I'm rooting for that story. Two and ten a season ago, displaced for over a month by a hurricane. Michael Pratt was knocked out of the year. He's healthy, and they've been playing some really good
1: football. Yeah, I personally that's who I'm hoping makes it to the Cotton Bowl. But this race—it's a three-team race for me at this point between Tulane, uh, UCF, and Coastal Carolina. I think we'll see Coastal Carolina enter the rankings, the College Football Playoff rankings, this week with still only one loss. So, I think that's your three-team race for that Cotton Bowl spot. I don't think—I think Liberty would be in that, but I don't think that they're eligible for that as an independent. But I need to double-check that.
0: Yeah, yeah I think you I, I might think be right. right. I th- I think yeah, no, I'm right, I... right on that. Speaking, Personally, on Tulane be... though. I'm hoping that they can make this one finish out and they can finish out their magic season just so we can see the Disney movie of it because this is just the Disney movie story script going on. And I'll go ahead and talk about this one too because we kind of glanced over it. I'm going to go ahead and put in my call, North Carolina is about to win the ACC. They look way too good. And I just, after what we saw out of Clemson, I don't think anyone in that conference is very good. So I think North Carolina scores their way to their uh, ACC title this year.
2: Which they need a little bit of chaos, but... If they do that, a one-loss ACC champ, they've got to be considered for could the playoff. Be. Yep, it could be could be really fun. Two other games to make you aware of here uh, before we wrap this up: SMU and Houston make FBS history. SMU wins seventy-seven to sixty-three. Gentlemen, we were not able to be in attendance at this game, but we did hold tickets to it. Congratulations to Trey, whoever you gave those tickets to, because oh my gosh, they got to watch a lot of fun history. Tanner Mordecai has 10 touchdowns in this game for the Ponies, nine of them through the air. Uh, and as I mentioned, most points scored in a game in regulation. Just
1: what a shootout. I did give them to a couple of awesome fellow middle school coaches, but unfortunately, both of them are University of Houston grads, so I'm not sure how much fun they had watching their team give up 77. But oh, well, at least their team scored 63, so it was an exciting game.
0: You know, saying ahead. SMU looked real good doing it.
1: Yeah,
2: couldn't couldn't play any defense, but their
1: offense
2: no. uh, offense looks amazing.
0: I just meant the uniforms look great. So
2: they did. They had alternate. The, uniforms. Those helmets were mm. yeah. Looks looked really good. Uh, last game was a game that we talked about, not really seriously considering an upset. Trey and I had them covering, but Liberty shocks Arkansas. 21 19. Arkansas goes uh, scores a touchdown with like 10, uh, no, I guess it was a minute thirty left on the clock, but only one timeout. They go for two. KJ Jefferson is short by inches of -hmm. crossing the plane of the goal line to tie this up. And Hugh Freeze knocks off the Razorbacks on the road, the hottest name uh, in the coaching carousel. Will he be plucked by Auburn? Will he go somewhere else? But the Flames come in and they beat an SEC West team and Liberty, without a doubt, the best team in Virginia.
1: Yeah, and Liberty was down to their fourth string quarterback. I believe, and he apparently had flu-like symptoms before the game. So just an all-time performance. They jump out to a 21-0 lead. Their defense played lights out. Um, Their offense even gave up a safety, and they still found a way to win in Fayetteville. So hats off to the Flames. They are an exciting story this year. I wish they had a shot at that New Year's Six Bowl, but I think you guys are right. I don't think they're eligible for it as an independent, but man, what a story. What an exciting season for them.
0: Mitch, you said best team in Virginia. And I had to go, well, hold on. And then I said, no, no, you're probably right. No, I'm dead right. Man, that's so bizarre that Liberty is running that state right now.
2: Uh, Virginia Tech's two and seven. The Cavs can't figure out if they like to play football on a week-to-week basis. Uh, It's it's not great in the Commonwealth. Yeah, What
0: a Um, follow-up for Brandon Armstrong, too.
1: I feel like every week they are so close to knocking somebody off. Like this week, they only lost by three to North Carolina. But yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, Trey, you've got some bowl eligibility awards to give out some, some schools to make us aware of. Let's wrap the show up on this.
1: Yes. Yeah, so welcome to bowl eligibility to the following teams. Um, some of you expect to be here, but many of you do not. So we're going to shout out all of you and just let you figure out which one is which, but Ohio Duke, my shout darling, for his darling. That's just a fantastic story. You're one three Michael, and a man. half. Come on. Yeah, just amazing, amazing story. We we doubted you. We thought that was a silly pick, but kudos to you, Garrett. Notre Dame rebounding in a nice way. Texas back in bowl season. Kansas for the first time since 2007 will be bowling this uh, holiday season. Kentucky, Minnesota, Western Kentucky, Baylor, North Texas returning to bowl season for and the second green. row. Mississippi State, South Carolina, Louisville, Florida State making a long-awaited return, and San Jose State, the Spartans. Shown themselves to be a force at the top of their division in the Mountain West. Couple to keep your eye on as we wind down the season. Rice and UConn are both one win away from bowl eligibility after taking care of business this week. Parents, it's time to talk to your kids about bowl eligible Huskies and Owls. Because (laughs) they've never seen it before and you need to prepare them and now is the time don't don't wait till it's too late now is the time to talk to your kids about yukon and rice being (laughs) boiled
2: prepare them for the apocalypse because we we might be in it um i did i do love that rice is one win away i know like everybody on twitter is celebrating yukon i personally love that mike bloomgren and in the rice owls are one win away that has been a program that has just been irrelevant for Forever and the doormat of every Texas team when they're scheduling their their non-conference foes, and to see them kind of come back and and be relevant. I mean, heck, guys, Texas A&M probably not going to make a bowl this year. The Rice Owls very well might be. So um yep. cool to see, cool to see that Bloomgren be able to with without really one true quarterback. They've played a couple of different quarterbacks this year, and they've been able to get it done.
1: It's a very tough close they need to find a win somewhere with three teams that are already bowl eligible in western kentucky utsa and north texas but you know anything's possible it's november anything can happen
2: all right guys well tell you what week 10 was a bag of tricks and then something else we continue to whittle down our playoff eligible teams there are some great matchups coming down the pike in week 11 we're excited to break all of that down to you and more we'll talk about the playoff rankings and uh, really just set the stage for what should be another very entertaining week in week 11 for trey reeves and garrett Turney, i'm mitch mason thanks so much for listening until next time so long everybody